All right. All right. Good evening, everyone. Hey, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab that Jonah chapter one, Jonah chapter one. If you remember last night, the book of Jonah begins with the words, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And here's what we observed last night. Here's what we looked at last night. We looked at the fact that the book of Jonah doesn't actually begin with Jonah. The book of Jonah begins with this character called the Lord. It begins with the Lord speaking, and we recognized last night that when you see in your English Bible the words the Lord, it is actually a translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh. That God's name is not God. God is a description of who God is, but God's name, his revealed name, is Yahweh. Again, this begins, this entire book, this entire experience begins with Yahweh speaking to Jonah. And what we said last night was that Yahweh is a Hebrew word that means I am who I am. And we established last night that God is the type of God who is who he is and you do not get a vote. You can have opinions on God, you can have thoughts on God, you can feel however you want to feel about God. But God is who he is and you do not get a vote. And tonight, I have one simple task in front of me as we continue the story of Jonah. I want to try to answer the question, what kind of God is Yahweh? I want to try to answer the question, what is God actually like? And so tonight, as we work through the story of Jonah, we're going to try to answer this question. Because if God is who he is, and you don't get a vote, and you don't get to contribute, it's important for us to know who God actually is versus what we think he's probably like. Because here's what I know for every single one of you. For better or for worse, whether it's through your family or what you learned growing up or from our culture, from the world or popular culture, all of you have a vision of what God is actually like. And that vision probably does not line up with the God, this Yahweh who's described in the scriptures. Like I think for me so often God was thought of this way. So uh, one of the things I'm excited for tomorrow, I'll share with you. Um, tomorrow in the afternoon, my precious and beloved San Francisco 49ers are playing in the playoffs. Anyone else? Okay. All right. My people right here. And if you're not into that, I, no, no, no. If you're booing, I'll pray for you later. That's all right for your salvation the whole bit. Um, but listen, listen, listen. So, so I, I grew up a San Francisco 49ers fan. And my family since the 70s has had season tickets. And so we would go to games all growing up. And I love going to games. I'd usually go with my dad, and we had the same seats every single home game. And we would go and we would watch the game. But there was this one particular part of the game that I'll never forget. And it wasn't what was happening on the field in front of me. It was what was happening behind me. See, here's what happened when I'd go to the 49er game. You'd be sitting there, and this is like every sporting event. You're sitting watching the game, and then some massive play happens. And you get so excited. And what do you do? You stand to your feet, and you start to cheer and applause. And here's what I'll never forget. I'll never forget, one row back, two seats over, there was this man. And this man was a little bit older, and cer certainly a lot older than me. In fact, my brothers and I affectionately called him Grumpy Old Guy, okay? And, and here's why we called him Grumpy Old Guy, because every time we would get up to cheer, he would yell, I'll never forget these words, down in front! And so we would get up to cheer and hear down in front. And listen, at my age right now, if he said this, I would have the confidence to be able to navigate the situation. But I was 10, okay? And I'm little and I'm scared because grumpy old guy's yelling at me. And so here's what would happen inadvertently. There would be amazing plays on the field. And what I would usually want to do is stand up and cheer. But then I'd start doing this. I'd get up and... 
I, I'd like kind of be nervous. And I'd be, always be looking over my shoulder at grumpy old guy because I was always afraid of being in trouble with grumpy old guy. And here's what occurs to me tonight. Some of you see God as the grumpy old guy. And you're always looking over your shoulder because you think he's always disappointed in you. Some of you have a God in your mind that is an old man who sits in heaven, who looks down at you and sees your failures and sees your stumblings and sees your weakness and sees your temptation and always is mad at you. Some of you have grumpy old guy as your God. Maybe some of you have a different kind of God in your mind, but whatever that kind of God is, it's been shaped by so many things that aren't actually in the scriptures. And so tonight, we're gonna look at what the Bible has to say about what kind of God Yahweh actually is, what kind of God the Bible actually reveals. Again, we're in Jonah chapter one, and you can begin with me in verse 11 is where we'll be looking. It says this, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. Now I wanna point this out because if you're kind of fast forwarding through our story, remember the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it for its wickedness has come up before me. And what does he do? Instead he runs to Tarshish and he goes down to Joppa, down to the port, down to the ship, down to the bottom, down to sleep, down into a deep sleep. And then he's woken up and they start to try to figure out who's at fault for this. And they find out it's Jonah, and they're trying to save their ship because they're on this little tiny ship in the middle of the ocean. And what does it say here? It says in verse 11, the sea gets rougher and rougher. Now let me remind you of something that's critical to our question. What kind of God is Yahweh? What is he actually like? What we see here, if we'll remember, there is a storm that is on the sea. And I want to remind you tonight that that storm is not random. That storm didn't just happen because of nature and the natural course of events. The storm is happening on the sea because God sent it. God sent it. And one of the things I want to begin when we think about what kind of God is Yahweh, what kind of God actually exists, is a God who is sovereign over every single thing that happens in this world and every single thing that happens in your life. I want to be clear that the storm here happening in Jonah isn't just a storm that kind of happened to happen and coincide with Jonah's disobedience. This is a God who is sovereign over storms whether those be storms in our culture, in our nation, in your family, in our world, whether those storms be things we think of as natural or things we think of as human cause, God is sovereign over all things. When I say that God is sovereign, I mean that God is in charge. I mean that he actually governs the world. Some people think of God as all powerful, but he kind of steps back and never actually does anything. So it's like he has the power to do everything. He just kind of steps back and lets us do our thing but that's not the God actually described in the Bible. What kind of God is Yahweh? Yahweh is a sovereign God who governs and controls this world. And so here's what this means for you and I. If we wanna understand what Yahweh is actually like, we have got to start to get our head around the fact that there is not a single moment of your life that has not been filtered through the hand of the Father. Not a single moment. And here's what I get. When I say that there has not been a single moment in your life where God has not been in charge, not been sovereign, not been in control. That is hard for some of you to accept, perhaps for almost all of us to accept, because I'm gonna go ahead and guess that there have been moments in your life where you have suffered, suffered at the hands of another, suffered through illness, suffered through something going on. You look at the world and all of the suffering and all of the pain and all of the chaos and all of the heartbreak, and you go, what kind of God would be sovereign over that? And the answer, is the God whose name is Yahweh, the God who's revealed in the scriptures. 
He is a good God. He is a loving God, and yet he is a sovereign God. And I don't want you for a moment to start to believe in some kind of God that could control things, just doesn't want to step in because he can't be bothered. No, the God of the scriptures is sovereign over all things. He's sovereign over good things. He's sovereign over bad things. And for so many of us, that's difficult because it's difficult for us to understand how God can be loving and at the same time sovereign. How can he allow so much suffering if he claims to be in control? And here's what I need you to know tonight. I need you to know that God's sovereignty is one of those mysteries that we receive and we receive as a revealed thing from the scriptures but we don't necessarily always understand. And I know that's gonna frustrate some of you. It's gonna frustrate you because you want me to get up here and pull out my pastor bag and give you all the answers and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. But I want you to understand this, that God's sovereignty is not contingent on your ability to understand it. God is sovereign even if you don't understand it. You go, I don't know how that works. I don't know that I can trust in. I don't know that I can rely on a God that I don't understand. And here's my contention. You don't apply that thinking in any other area of your life. Like, let me put it to you this way. There's a little device I'm holding in my hand that if data is correct, you spend four, five, six, seven, eight hours of your life on, correct? All day, every day, texting, social media, always using this thing. And yet, if I brought any single one of you on stage and said, explain to me how this works, you would have no clue how this device works, right? Like you might be like, it's the cell towers. I'll be like, say another sentence, right? And it's like, we use this thing all day. You don't sit around, you're like, I don't get how this works. So I don't know if it works. No, you're like, I don't know how this works. I just know my text messages go through. I don't know how this works. I just know that TikTok works on it. I don't know how this works. I just know my music plays and I enjoy it. So here's the thing. There's so many areas of your life where you don't get how it works, but it's reliable. And I want you to know this about our God. You may not perfectly understand how his sovereignty works, but I want you to know that the Lord, this Yahweh, this God who's described in scripture, is described as a sovereign God who governs all things. And your inability to understand it doesn't mean it's not so. He is worthy of your trust. He is worthy of your reliance. He is worthy of your consideration. He is worthy of you leaning on him. Even when you don't understand what he's doing, Jonah chapter one and verse 11 says, the storm is getting rougher and rougher. Let's remember this is a sovereign storm that God has created and is governing. It goes on in verse 11, it says, so they asked him, this is these pagan sailors asking Jonah, the prophet of Israel, what should we do to you make, to make the sea calm down for us? And then in verse 12, he says, pick me up and throw me in the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. See, for all of Jonah's disobedience, Jonah actually knows Yahweh so well. Jonah knows the God of the Bible. Jonah knows what he is like. And here's what Jonah understands. The reason this storm is happening is not a physical issue. It's not a natural issue. He understands that it is a spiritual issue. And he understands that if he is to not be on this boat, everything will become calm. He doesn't say, well, it's a storm and storms tend to pass, so let's just kind of wait it out. He understands that God is divinely intervening and governing the effect of nature in this world. And here's what Jonah knows. Even though Jonah is walking in disobedience and rebellion, Jonah knows what Yahweh is actually like. And when we read the story of Jonah, here's what I hope it does. 
I hope every time you open the scriptures, it challenges the type of gods that we tend to believe in in our age. And you might think it's silly that I talk about gods we believe in, but I think almost everyone in this room, certainly myself at times, we believe in a kind of God that the Bible doesn't actually describe. Like, like, do you know that some of you have kind of inadvertently fallen into believing a God who never actually intervenes in the world? Like you have been so sucked in by naturalism and secularism that says it's just the physical processes of this world and storms only happen because of pressure, sizzling, and moisture. God would never intervene in this world. And you believe that because you live in 21st century America and you are so shaped by this sort of secular approach to the world that says science explains everything and God's not necessary. But if you want to believe in Yahweh, the God described in the Bible, you're going to believe in a God not just who could intervene in the world, but who does regularly. You need to believe that things that happen in your life are not random. They don't just happen to happen. God intervenes in natural courses of events. God intervenes in nations. God intervenes in families. And listen to me, God intervenes in individuals, in their hearts and their minds and in their wills. And I think for some of you, the idea that God would ever get in the way of your free will seems so crazy to you. You're like, God would never change my will. And yet when you read throughout the whole scriptures, you know what you see Yahweh doing? Yahweh is hardening hearts, he is softening hearts, he is changing minds, he is drawing people to themselves, he got, he's got his opening eyes, he is closing eyes, he's doing all kinds of things to interfere with the people's lives in front of him. God has purposes, and he is going to accomplish those purposes, and not even you will stand in the way of that. And if that bothers you, the idea that God would interfere with your will, can I ask you a question? If you think God never interferes with your will, why do you pray for people to be saved? Why are you praying for people to be saved? If God can never interfere with someone's will, here's what I'm asking for constantly for the unsaved people in my life. I'm going, God, open their eyes to the gospel. God, change their hearts. Soften them that they might hear the gospel with fresh eyes and fresh ears. God, would you draw them to you? Would you rescue and save them? See, we want to believe in a God that is kind of like at arm's distance and never really interferes in our life. And yet the book of Jonah challenges us. There's a God who is actively involved in this world. And some of you have bought into the idea that God would never actually intervene. And here's God interfering with Jonah's life. The next thing it makes me think of is this. Um, can, can you notice there for just a second that God has made Jonah unhappy? Can you just recognize that Jonah's not like stoked on life right now? He's gone his own way. He's run away from God. And God has made Jonah profoundly uncomfortable and profoundly unhappy. And some of you have come to believe in a God whose sole purpose in this world is to make you happy and comfortable. And so anything that in the scriptures seems to challenge you or make you uncomfortable or put you in a place where you have to suffer, you think that couldn't possibly be God's will. But I need you to understand that Yahweh, the God of the scriptures, is often going to call us into suffering. He is often going to call us into a life where we sacrifice and suffer for the sake of the gospel. And if the God you claim to believe in would never have you suffer, would never have you sacrifice, would never have you be uncomfortable. You believe in some kind of God. It's just not Yahweh, the God of the Bible. And then finally, I think some of you believe in a God that would never command you to do anything you actually disagree with. And yet here's Jonah. And what does God tell him to do? Go to the great city of Nineveh, your hated enemy. You preach against them for their wickedness has come up before me. God tells Jonah to do something uncomfortable. And listen, if the God you claim to believe in would never tell you to do something that you disagree with, you're not worshiping the God of the Bible. 
Like, like here's what I think. After last night, we talked about sin, and some of you have been cut to the core. Some of you know there's an issue. There's a thing going on in your life, and you want to confess of it and repent of it. But repentance isn't just feeling bad. It is an action where you turn and go a different direction. And, And so for some of you, what God is going to call you to do is going to make you uncomfortable. It's going to be hard. Hear me, some of you are in a relationship with a guy. You know it's sinful. You know it's wicked. You know it's not leading you to Jesus. And God is calling you to break up with him. That's hard. I get that. But if you want to believe in a God who's never going to ask you to do anything hard, you're not believing in Yahweh, the God of the Bible. Some of you are convicted about the fact that you use drugs of various kinds. And it just kind of hits you that this is no longer the way you want to live. You know what that's probably going to mean? It's probably going to mean you going to your youth leader or your parents and handing over your vapes, handing over your stash, and saying, I'm done with this. But hear me, that's hard, right? That's going to make you uncomfortable. No one in this room wants to walk up to their parents and say, here's my sinful pattern. And yet if you're going to walk into obedience with God, that's what it's going to mean for some of you. Like there's a million different things this is going to mean. But if you've come to believe in a God who would never actually ask you to do anything that makes you uncomfortable, again, you're believing in some kind of God. It's just not the God of the Bible. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Ah, that cuts me to the core. If my God never challenges me, if I'm never reading the Bible and going like, oh man, I need to change because of that, I am probably just worshiping an idealized version of Brian Howard. And I don't want to worship that God, because that is a false God who does not exist. I want to worship Yahweh, the Lord, the God of the scriptures. It goes on this way in verse 13. It says, instead of throwing him overboard, instead of throwing him into the sea, it says the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord. I've done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, all the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Here's what I want you to note if you've got your Bible in front of you. I want you to note in this exact sentence we just read or this paragraph from 13 all the way through 16, how many times we see the phrase, the Lord. Uh, What I'm counting, I see it four different times here. That they cried out to the Lord, they said, please, Lord, they said, you, Lord, and they made sacrifices to the Lord. Now, let me remind you, the Lord is Yahweh. The Lord is the God of Israel. And yet, who is crying out to the Lord? Who is sacrificing to the Lord? Who is acknowledging that the Lord, Yahweh, is in charge of everything? It's these pagan sailors who were crying out to their own God just five minutes ago. And now they are crying out, offering sacrifices and turning their hearts to the Lord. This is a beautiful part of the story. It's like the whole story was about Jonah going to the city of Nineveh to get the Assyrians to repent. And along the way, God goes and rescues some pagan sailors from their sin and from their condemnation. This is this beautiful thing about our God. God loves to rescue anyone and everyone who would turn to him. He is no respecter of your tribe, of your nation, of where you come from, of what you look like. Like, I want you to recognize that about God. I want you to recognize that about what's true of biblical Christianity. That biblical Christianity, you may have never considered this, is the most diverse religion in the face of the earth. It's not limited to certain countries or certain regions or certain skin colors or certain people groups. It's everywhere. 
It's every continent, it's every person, every type of tribe, every type of nation. There are believers who worship Jesus. The diversity of the church is a witness to the universal saving power of the gospel. And this is what happens here. These pagan sailors, not part of Israel, not even part of Assyria and Nineveh, get saved by God because that's what our God loves to do. It says in verse 17, and this is the most famous verse in the entire book, so don't miss it. It says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. So here's the moment. And again, if you just kind of cursory know the story, Jonah, you're like the, the fish guy, right? Like you kind of know the story. That's what happens here. Now let me clear some things out of the way. It says they provided a huge fish. In the Greek, or in the Greek, in the Hebrew language, the word for fish is actually pronounced dog. That's confusing, right? <laughs> Languages are weird like that. And then the word for great or the big fish is gadol. So in the Hebrew, it says a dog gadol swallowed him. It's this great fish. That word gadol is actually the same that's used to describe that great gadol city of Nineveh. It's the same that's used to describe the storm, a great gadol storm. And a great gadol fish swallows up Jonah. Now, there are endless discussions about what kind of fish this is. Was it a whale? But a whale's not a fish, it's a mammal. Or was it this kind of thing? Or maybe it was a kind of extinct fish that no longer exists. Maybe it was a special fish that God only made one of. And there's all kinds of discussion. I've researched all of it. I have commentaries this thick on this book of Jonah, hundreds of pages. I've done all my research, and you know what I've concluded? It doesn't matter. It doesn't. God sent a fish, it swallowed Jonah. It, just, it doesn't give us more than that. It's like, well, what species, what color? Like, I don't know. God sends a fish, it swallows Jonah. And then there's a second thing people just lose their minds over. They're like, well, what kind of fish would actually have the cavity in their stomach for someone to survive in there for three days? And people just go this endless thing. Well, actually, this kind of fish has enough oxygen. And here's the deal. How did he survive inside a fish? The answer is God kept him alive. And if you're like, that's crazy. God couldn't keep someone alive. Can I remind you we believe in a God who spoke and the universe came into motion? So like him keeping a dude alive in the belly of a fish, he's like, oh, that's, that's too hard right there. Could never accomplish that. Listen, we don't know what kind of fish it is. It's a fish. We don't know how God kept him alive. We just know God did it. And here's my concern. My concern is that you will go into cabin time tonight and spend hours talking about a fish. And the reason that would be a tragedy, don't miss this, the reason that would be a tragedy is because the story of Jonah and the moment we are watching right here is not about a fish, it is about the faithfulness of our God. That's what this is about. Because listen, the fish was not a punishment for Jonah. That might sound crazy to you, like I wouldn't want to be in a fish, neither would I. But it's not a punishment, you know why? Because Jonah should have drowned in the bottom of the ocean. Jonah's dead body and bones should be at the bottom of the sea right now. But God sends a fish not to punish Jonah, but to rescue him. Can I remind someone in this room who feels like you've been drifting, 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 too far from God, too far from God, too far from God. You're at the bottom, you're in the depth of your sin, that your God has not given up on you yet. He ain't done with you, he ain't finished with you, he sees you, he knows you, he sees your sin, and he wants you anyway. He'll pursue you to the very depths of the ocean floor because that's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God Yahweh is. He rescues Jonah. He saves Jonah. And Jonah is in the belly of this fish, not because God hates Jonah, 
but because he loves him. And he's not finished with him yet. And hear me, God is not finished with you yet. Whatever your drift has been, whatever your sin has been, wherever you've been, the God of the universe is just getting started with your story. It goes on in the back half of that verse and says this, now Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, kind of imagine Jonah. He's in the fish. What does he do for three days? He's just kind of like there. Doesn't say he has like a light or like a book to read. He's not like scrolling through reels, right? Like he's got nothing to do. He's just there in total darkness inside a fish at the bottom of the ocean for three days. And you got to think to yourself, like if you were stuck in a place where you could not move, you could not see anything, you were just stuck for three days, all you can do is one thing, think about things, right? That's all you can do. You just think about things. And here's what's amazing. It's almost like God was like, Jonah, you're going the wrong direction. I'm going to give you a timeout. And he gives him a timeout. And he's in the belly of a fish thinking about life and thinking about God and thinking about his decisions and thinking about his direction. And what a crazy, absolutely wild thing that God has given every single one of you three days away from everything else, away from your cell phone service to do the exact same thing. I think this weekend, for some of you, is a timeout that God has given you. So you can pause and breathe and think for a moment about the direction of your life. Now here's what I think. I think there's some of you who are following faithfully after Jesus. You're not perfect and you fall in your sin and that's normal for me and you and all of us, but you're actually following after Jesus and praise God for that. But I think there's others of you who the last couple years, last couple months, last couple weeks, you've just been drifting into something you never wanted to. And God, in his great love and sovereignty over your life, has given you a time out this weekend to unplug from everything and consider the direction of your life. Don't miss that. Don't miss that this weekend. Like my fear is some of you are so caught up in something that's going on, like drama with a friend of yours, or, or some guy, or some girl, or something, or, or broom hockey, or all these things that have just been so big and you just will miss the opportunity to breathe deep. Take that time out and think about the direction of your life. So that's what happens for Jonah. And then it says in verse one, the second chapter, it says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. Jonah prayed to Yahweh, his God. And I'm gonna read this prayer for you. But here's what I want you to look for in this prayer. In this prayer, I want you to recognize um, something that's true of you and me when we pray. The content of your prayers reveals what you think about the character of God. When you pray, it tells me what I need to know about the character of God. Like some of you pray like this, like God, I'm so sorry to bother you. Um, things aren't so good at home, so maybe if possibly you have some time, if it's your will, I mean, okay, but maybe possibly you could help me a, a little, right? Here's what that says about what you think about God. He's small, he's too busy for you, he can't be bothered, and if he gets around to it, he might help you. Some of you pray in ways that are just completely outlandish. You're like, God, give me a million dollars and a beautiful husband and 2.4 kids and a white picket fence and a car for him and a car for me and a car for us, right? That's your prayers. And here's what you think about God. You think that God is a candy dispenser where you throw in prayers and he gives you what you want. I want you to see what Jonah's prayer sounds like because the content of your prayers tells me everything I need to know about what you think about the character of our God. And Jonah, for all of his sinfulness, nails it. Let me read you the whole prayer. 
It says, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depth and the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. The seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, where the earth was barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought me up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you in your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from Yahweh. This is the first time in the entire book of Jonah that Jonah even thinks to pray. See, Jonah hears a word from the Lord, go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it. And not once does he pray until this exact moment. And I want us to look at this prayer. I want us to think about this prayer. Almost the entirety of chapter two is this prayer that Jonah offers up. And here's what I want to observe. Two things that I see here in this prayer. The first is this, that Jonah's prayer, like what he just prayed, reveals the intimate presence of Yahweh in his life. What kind of God is God? He's an intimate God. What kind of God is Yahweh? He's one who's with us. See in verse two, it says that God listened to me and he answered. See in verse six, it says that God brought my life up from the pit. See in verse nine, it says that God saves salvation, comes from the Lord. He's the one who rescues me. Like like the first thing I want to point out to you in Jonah's prayer is that that Jonah believes in a God named Yahweh who is present with him, who's intimate with him, who's close to him. When Jonah speaks, he believes Yahweh listens. When Jonah's struggling, he believes Yahweh rescues. Yahweh is the one who picks him up, keeps him going, is intimate in his life. This is what we believe about our God. We believe we have this intimate God who is closer to you right now than your very breath. Like that's what we believe about Yahweh. Yahweh is this intimate presence in our life. And yet, can I show you the other half? Jonah's prayer also reveres this infinite power of God right? Like verse three, it says, you hurled me into the depths, right? Into the sea. In other words, Jonah's aware, like this whole storm thing that just happened was God. He sent this. Verse three, it says, your waves and breakers have crashed over me. Notice he didn't just say like the ocean was slapping up against my face. He's like, yeah, that was yours. Because Jonah believes in the infinite power of our God. He believes that Yahweh is not just an intimate presence who exists among us, but he is the God, the creator of heaven and earth. He is the almighty, all-powerful, all-present God over all things. And hear me this evening. If you want to believe in the God called Yahweh, who is belie- who's re- revealed to us in the Bible, you need to hold on to both those things. If you're writing down notes, write down those two things. To believe in the intimate presence of Yahweh and to believe in the infinite power of Yahweh. Intimate presence, infinite power. And here's what I've observed in the lives of so many people I've walked with. Almost everyone struggles with one of those two. Almost everyone struggles. There are some people who believe in Yahweh's intimate presence. And so they love Jesus and they walk with Yahweh and they believe he is close and present with them. And Jesus is their best friend and the scriptures say that Jesus is a friend. He's closer than a friend. He's closer than a brother. He's inside of me. He indwells my spirit and he lives with inside my very bones. 
And yet some of those people struggle to believe that that same God is sovereign over nations, over history, over all things in this universe, and that he holds everything together by the power of his word. And then others of you believe in this infinitely powerful God. It's never been an issue for you to believe that God is this almighty creator of heaven and earth. He's big, he's powerful, you know that, and yet some of you have never actually come to believe in a God who dwells inside of your very bones. And for all of us, what do we need to do if we wanna believe in Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth, the God that Jonah is praying to here? We need to hold on to both. He is both intimately present and infinitely powerful. And when I hold on to both, I can be confident that I am worshiping the God of the Bible and not a God of my own creation. See, this is the type of people we need to be. If you want to understand the answer to the question, what kind of God is Yahweh, you need to be a person who reads the Bible regularly because the Bible is gonna tell you what kind of God he is. And I'll say this boldly tonight. If you refuse to read your Bible, if that just is never gonna be a part of your life, you will never understand what God is actually like. If you don't read the Bible regularly, passionately, diligently for yourself, I don't just mean when you come to church or come to camp or your youth pastor gives a sermon and you're taking notes. I mean you regularly reading the Bible, studying it, talking about it, memorizing it, sharing it, getting into a Bible study with your friends, texting your friends, having the Bible app give you a notification. If the Bible's not saturated into your life, you will never know what Yahweh is all about. And I wanna challenge you tonight, if you wanna know who God is, who this God named Yahweh is, and what his purposes are in this world, if you want to know what those things are, can I just give you the great news? It's not a mystery. Sometimes people are like, God, it's just, he's so mysterious. And listen, God is mysterious. God is very mysterious. God's mystery and the mystery of who God is permeates every part of our being, but it's not a total mystery. We can know what God is like, his nature and his character. And more importantly for our lives and our day-to-day, sometimes it's like, okay, the nature and character of God plays into what his purposes are for us. And we don't have to guess. It's revealed to us in the Bible. God wrote a book, you can read it, and you can know what his nature and character is and what his purpose is for your life. And that's what I want for you. And so listen. I just wanna spend a few minutes here challenging every person in this room to double down on reading the Bible. Some of you read the Bible already, and that is awesome. I want you to continue to do that more than ever before. But others of you, the Bible is this thing like occasionally you read, and then you kinda lose it, and you're not really sure, and it's kind of this throughout your life, and I just wanna call as many of you possible to be a people of the Bible so you can know God's character and know God's purposes in your life. If you want to regularly read the Bible, you need to do these three things. Write these things down. Number one, You need to crush your excuses. You need to crush your excuses. Number two, you need to create a plan. And number three, you need to cultivate a lifestyle. Crush your excuses, create a plan, cultivate a lifestyle. Number one, crush your excuses. Every single one of us loves to come up with brilliant excuses that we think no one has ever used before as to why we don't read the Bible regularly. We love that. It's our our favorite thing to have an excuse about why we don't read the Bible regularly. And here's the number one excuse I heard. You've used it. I know it's your favorite one. I just don't have time. Brian, I'm just so busy. I am slammed. My calendar, you should just see it. It is nuts, Brian. It is insane. I am way too busy to read the Bible. And here is my belief, my firm conviction. You lost the ability to use that excuse in the year of our Lord, 2018. Why 2018? In 2018, 
For those of you who are Apple users, Apple came out with a feature that says you swipe, right? And you see your screen time for the week. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And when I flip to my screen time, I am obliterated of the excuse that I do not have time to read my Bible. When I look at my screen time, if I were to take 10% of that and apply it to Bible reading, it would flip my life upside down. We lose the ability for that when we use four, five, six, seven hours a day on our phones. Listen, we lose that ability. Because here's what I know. You have the time. And here's why I know you have the time. Let me give you a thought experiment. Ladies, I'm going to pick on you first tonight. Ladies, I want you to imagine something that never really happens, but let's just imagine a hypothetical. Let's imagine the hypothetical that you have met a cute guy at camp. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Actually, or, or, or fellas, let, let's imagine, guys, you um, met, met a cute girl at camp. Let's imagine you've met together here at camp. And then here's what happens. You leave camp, and you've exchanged numbers and all that, and, and, and then it's like next weekend, and camp is kind of like cresting, and you're getting back into real life, and you're kind of like trying to figure out where you stand now. And, and, and let's, let's put it this way. Um, girls or guys, let's say you get a text from your camp crush, and it says, hey, a bunch of us are going to the movies tonight, do you want to come with us? Now, here's what I know, ladies, gentlemen, any of you, here's what I know, here's what I know. You would do literally anything to be there. I, I know me, when I started dating my wife and pursuing her, I would have skipped life-saving medical care to go to a movie with her, right? I would have done that and so would you. You would go and you would do it, why? Why? Because you make time for things you care about. That's what you do. And here's what it is. When it comes to reading my Bible, here's what it really comes down to. Do I think it matters? Do I care? Because I have the time, I know I have the time, I make time for things I care about. And if you are gonna be serious about reading the Bible at some point, you have to crush the excuse in your life that you don't have the time because you know you have it. You know you have it. And you make time for things you care about. Number one, crush your excuses. The first excuse is that you don't have the time. Here's the second excuse, and I hear this one. This one's a little more sophisticated. You're like, Brian, I would love to read the Bible, but every time I do, I get confused. I get confused. And let me confess to you, the Bible is confusing sometimes. And if you are confused sometimes when you read the Bible, do you know that that makes you part of an exclusive club called Everyone Who's Lived Ever? Okay? <laughs> Like the Bible is sometimes confusing. In fact, Peter says in one of his books, he says that sometimes when he reads Paul's letters, he's confused. A Bible author looked at another Bible author and was like, I don't know, right? <laughs> but, but here's what I've learned in my life. Like I've learned in my life that the Bible tends to be the only one that we point to where like it's confusing, so I gave up. But like, here's what I know. Like if for Christmas or for your birthday or somehow you got like a new Xbox, a new PlayStation, right? And you plugged it in. And up on your TV, it was starting to boot up, and then suddenly a little box showed up that said error code 4846. You would look at it. Back out, I don't, I don't actually know what that means. And there is no single person in this room who'd be like, I don't know what that means. Mom, we're gonna throw this thing away. It's no good, no good anymore, right? Throw it into the trash can. I could not possibly decipher such a code. You wouldn't do that. What would you do? You would get onto the Google machine, you would look up error code 4648 on my new Xbox and you would research it. Why? We research things we care about. We take time to look into and figure out things that we care about. I'll just confess with you, the Bible's confusing sometimes. 
And yet I just promise you, if it's confusing, and you would actually buy a book, use the internet and research, or even better, go talk to your youth pastor or your Bible study leader, you'll find answers to that. That's the stunning thing. Do you know that I think the best 50 bucks you could possibly spend in your life is to get yourself a big, old, thick, leather-bound study Bible? I'll just tell you, you get a study Bible, and you're like, I don't know what that verse means. You go down to the notes, you're like, now I do, right? It's that easy. And I'm just telling you, like 50 bucks. And some of you are like, Brian could never, ever afford a $50 study Bible. And I'm like, really? Please show me your $800 iPhone, right? Like, I'm just telling you, like, you can afford it. You can set aside the money. It is the best. Like, listen, if you do not own a study Bible with the glories of Amazon, you can get down the hill on Monday. It will be on your doorstep Wednesday, right? Like, I'm just telling you, this is it. You invest in it. Why we research things we care about. The Bible is going to be confusing until you start studying it, and suddenly it comes alive because it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We want to crush our excuses. Number one, I don't have time. Number two, um, I don't understand the Bible. Number three, this was my favorite all through high school. I loved this one. I was like, I would love to read the Bible, but I'm more of like a like an auditory person. I'm more of like, um, I'm not a reader is what I like to say, right? Uh, I didn't read many books in high school. I just kind of like figured out how to get around reading the books, if anyone knows what I mean. Um, like, like, like I would be the guy in class who's listening to other people discuss the book and be like, I should have read that, right? And so when it came to the Bible, I was like, well, I'm not a reader. So that, that's why I, you know, don't read the Bible. And then um, here's what occurs to me again, <laughs> Um, the Bible being one of the only places we do that in life. Like, do you realize basically all you do all day is read things? Like, like you realize you're like scrolling through on social media and you're not like, hmm, there's a caption, seems interesting, I'm not a reader, whatever. You know, like you don't do that. You're not driving around town for those of you who drive and you're like, I gotta turn left on Walnut Street, but I don't read, so I don't know. You know, like that's not how you roll. You read things all day. And again, this is where I just wanna pick on you. I'll be honest, I messed up earlier. I was gonna pick on the guys. Girls, I'm gonna pick on you again because I think you'll resonate with this. So, so girls, again, uh, imagine once again the situation that probably has never happened in the history of camp, but there's a camp crush, right? And you exchange numbers. And then here's, here's the imagination for you. I want you to imagine it's two days after camp and your phone buzzes and it's him. And you swipe it open and wait, wait, it gets better. You swipe it open and there's a text message, but it's a multi-pager, right? Oh yes, you're scroll, oh my goodness. It is multi-paragraph. There are things being said and you look at it and you see this text message from your camp crush and you go, I want to read it, but I am not a reader. <laughs> Mom, will you read this for me? No way, right? Why? Because you read things you care about. And here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know. The God of the universe has written you 66 books for you to read. And when I fall in love with Jesus, when I fall in love with Yahweh, the God of the Bible, I don't go, I'm not a reader. You might not be a reader. You may enjoy other forms of learning. But when I know that God wrote it for me, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. I might read it out loud. You know what my favorite new thing to do is with the Bible app? I'll have like my Bible in front of me, but I'll turn on the Bible app and I'll listen to it as well. 
because it helps me to read sometimes when it's like, I don't know how to pronounce that word. Well, smart guys have figured out how to do that already. And, and they can pronounce the world. So what do I do? I crush my excuses. I don't have time. I don't understand. I'm not a reader. I crush my excuses. Why? Because I want to know what God's character is. I want to know what Yahweh is actually like. And I want to know what his purposes are for my life. So number one, I crush my excuses. Number two, I create a plan. You know what I've learned? The only people who leave camps like this and actually start to read their Bible regularly are the people who had a plan. The people who never end up reading their Bible regularly are the people who do what I like to call the lucky flip, right? They get up in the morning and they're like, let's see what today has. <laughs> and then they're like in the middle of Ezekiel and they're like, I don't get it. You know, like have a plan. And you're like, what's the best Bible reading plan? And here's my answer every time. The one you'll actually do. That's the best one. Like if you're like, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a month, like, and you've never read the Bible before, like, maybe not. Maybe start small. Maybe have an actual plan you'll do. You're like, where do I get a plan? On the Bible app, on the Google machine. Talk to someone you know and love. Like, get that. Like, figure it out. There are so, there are like literally hundreds, maybe hundreds of thousands, millions of Bible reading plans out there. If you can't find one, Find me, I'll, I'll help you, like we'll get you one. And what do we wanna do? We wanna have a plan, why? Because a plan helps us be structured and disciplined. It'd be like this, if you've ever done like serious training for a sport, I don't mean like you played bunch ball soccer as an eight year old, I mean like you're really training for a sport. Here's what you know, here's what you know. You know that there's like training protocols and it's not random. It's not like you walk in one day, they're like bench press today and tomorrow yoga and tomorrow swimming and the next day just walk on the treadmill for four hours. Like that gets you nowhere. And yet so many people read the Bible that way. <laughs> They're like, today I'll read the Psalms and tomorrow Titus and next day Genesis until I'm confused. You know, like that's what they do. And so what do we wanna do? I wanna create a plan. I want you to create a plan and here's what I'm gonna do. If you are still like, I just don't know where to start with a plan, let me ask a question of every single counselor, youth pastor, adult in this room. On three, I just want you to raise your hand. <laughs> If you would be willing to help any single student who walked up to you to find a plan, on three, are you willing? One, two, three, hands in the air. Students, every single one of them. They, they, they're like, listen, 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 listen. Any single adult in this room would love to help you formulate a plan. And so if you're just like, I don't know what to do, they will help you figure it out. So what's number one? We're gonna crush our excuses. Number two, we are going to create a plan. Here's number three. Number three is we are gonna cultivate a lifestyle. And here's what I want you to know. I want you to leave this camp, and I do not want you to say, I need to read my Bible. Because people who say, I need to read my Bible, don't read their Bibles. You know the people who read their Bibles? The people who say, I am a Bible reader. I am the type of person who reads God's word every single day. You're like, does it have to be the morning? Is that more spiritual? No. If at night you read better, read at night, read at lunch, read on the way to school. It doesn't matter to me when you read that you cultivate a lifestyle and you make it just part of the pattern of your life. You're like, I read the Bible. That's just part of my life. I eat food. I get dressed. I do all these things. That's part of my life. And then here's the thing. Are you going to miss a day? The answer? Probably yeah. But you know what the philosophy I like to live by? Never miss two days in a row. Just like you miss a day and you wake up the next morning, like, move on. It's okay. 
God loves you. He's crazy about you. He'll never give up on you. And I just think some people are they're like, you're like, some of you are so into like the streak thing where it's like, okay, I've done it 100 days in a row or 274 days in a row. But like you don't apply this anywhere else in your life when it's like, oh, the streak's over, so I guess I'll give up. Like I want you to imagine a day, and maybe this happened like yesterday for some of you, like a crazy travel day or some day that was intense or you fell asleep on the couch and woke up in the morning and you realized to your horror that you forgot that day to brush your teeth. Now, I know it's never happened to any of you because you're perfect with brushing teeth, right? But imagine that happens. No one in this world is like, well, I forgot yesterday, so I guess my streak is over. I'll never do it again, right? What do you do? You just brush your teeth the next time you can. Do the same thing with the Bible. You crush your excuses. You create a plan. You cultivate a lifestyle. Why? Not because reading the Bible checks off some spiritual checklist you have, but because if you want to know what Yahweh is actually like, the God of the Bible, if you want to know what the Lord is actually like, it'll never happen unless you read the word of God. He's told you what he's like. He's told you what his purposes are for this world and for your life. And when we create a plan, when we crush our excuses, when we cultivate a lifestyle, it changes things for us. See, when we read this prayer that Jonah gives in, in, in Jonah chapter 2, one of the things you'll notice really quickly, especially if you have one of those study Bibles I talked about, is that Jonah is just straight up stealing scripture from other parts of the Bible. Like if you read through it, you'll be like, oh, I think that's a verse from somewhere else. And Jonah is so saturated in the word of God. He knows the scripture so well that his prayer is just filled with scripture. And because his prayer is filled with scripture, the content of his prayers reveals what he thinks about the character of God. And that's what I want for you. I want you to know God's character. I want you to know what he's like. I want you to know what his purpose is for your life. And that'll never happen unless you read his word. Here's the verse we'll close on tonight. Um, chapter two, verse 10. It says, and the Lord commanded the fish and in one of the most grotesque scenes in scripture, it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Don't, don't sanitize this, okay? Don't like turn this into like a thing that's like, Jonah pops out and he's like, oh yeah, okay. You know, like, like, like Jonah is spit out of a fish. And I can't imagine in that moment he's standing. I got to imagine in that moment he is just sitting there on the beach somewhere, covered in fish vomit, smelling disgusting, feeling humiliated, feeling all alone, not really sure where he is, not really sure what's going on, but feeling completely disgusted. And here is the coolest part of our story we're looking at this weekend. Here's Jonah covered in vomit, confused and frustrated and unaware and everything in his life seems like it's in shambles. And tomorrow night, the very first thing we're going to see is that the God of the universe, Yahweh, speaks to Jonah. I think one of the most beautiful pictures in all of scriptures, here's Jonah covered in vomit, covered in grossness, completely messy, and God says, that's the type of life I want to be involved with. That's the type of guy I want to be involved with. I want to speak to that guy. I want to be around that guy. I want my presence to be around that guy. I was thinking of this when I was thinking about Hume Lake. Uh, it was back in the summer of 2014. Uh, we had a group of students up here, high school students, um, and they were kind of spread out throughout the camp. And I'll never forget this one story. Um, this guy who was a counselor for us, his name was Drew. Um, and Drew was in a cabin and all of his guys were staying up late. And then eventually everyone goes to bed. And Drew goes to sleep. He's in a cabin. It's like, I know where it is. I couldn't tell you what it was named, but it's like right up here, just above the chapel. Well, not Buckrock. It wasn't Buckrock because God bless Buckrock. Okay, but, but listen, um, I love Buckrock. Um, but listen to me. So, so, so he goes to bed and then he gets woken up. 
in the middle of the night. And he gets like shaken awake and he's like, what, what's going on? And, and they look at him and they're like, Drew, Drew, we can't find Tanner. We can't find him. And Drew's like, oh, what? what do you say? He's probably here. And they're like, no, he's not here. We don't know where he is. He, he's not okay. And, and then suddenly someone else comes up and, and, and like, this is so graphic and so gross, but I'm not trying to be shock value here. The guy runs up, he goes, no, no, we know where Tanner is. And then he says this phrase no one will ever forget in this leadership group. He said, um, Tanner pooped the hallway. Um, we're like, whoa, 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 hold on. We're like, what, Tanner, what? Like you hear that? It's the middle of the night. You're like, what happened? And you're like, oh, oh my gosh. So sure enough, Drew gets up out of bed. He's like, okay, I'm up, I'm up. And he goes into the hallway that's leading to the outside. And sure enough, like it's just gross all the way down. And it's like this little trail and it leads him outside. And, and, and you know what he does? He goes and he finds Tanner. And Tanner had gotten out of bed and, and, and was just super sick. And not to be graphic, but it's like coming out both ends. It's like just real badly. And he's just, co he's just covered, covered. And here he is, middle of the night, in the cold, sitting alone outside the cabin, like in the fetal position, not doing well at all. And, and Drew, one of our leaders, sees Tanner. <laughs> and when you see a guy like that, your first thought is like, someone's got to help this guy, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? That, that's your first thought, right? Your first thought is like, that's gross. And someone needs, give me a hose, right? Like that's your first thought, right? But here's what I love about um, Drew. He's a buddy of mine, one of my best friends. Um, in that moment, he saw Tanner covered in his own filth. And he knew that they needed help. And so he sent someone to go get help. And then Drew did in that moment one of the most Christ-like things I've ever heard a friend of mine do. He saw Tanner sitting there. And he went right next to Tanner. And Tanner's like, get away, I'm gross. And so Drew's like, no, 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 no. And he puts his arm around Tanner. He says, Tanner, I'm with you. I know right now is not good. It's going to get better, but I'm in it with you until help arrives. I'm not gonna leave your side. I'm here with you, and I will never leave you until we get you help. And my friends, we begin tonight with a question. And here's the question. What is Yahweh actually like? What is the God of the Bible actually like? And when I think of all the memories in my life and all the memories in my ministry, all the stories I know, I'm not sure of anything that gets closer to the heart of God than having your arm wrapped around someone who is covered in their own mess, their own vomit, their own sin, their own failure. And that is what Yahweh, the God of the universe, does for you. He says, I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. There is nothing in this world that you can do. There is nowhere you can go. There is no sin too grievous. There is no addiction too deep that God will not wrap his arms around you and say, I am with you till the very end of the age. That is what Yahweh is like. He is the infinitely powerful God of the universe. But let me remind you, he is the intimate presence in your life who will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for tonight and thanks for the opportunity to look once again at your word. God, I'm just so aware that maybe there are people in this room, maybe not many, but maybe a few who just feel like Jonah covered in vomit, covered in mess, too far gone, too sinful, too faithless, too drifting, too whatever. And God, I just pray that this weekend there would be someone who recognizes that you are the God who would never leave them nor forsake them. God, I pray for the person who feels so far from you that they might feel and know your mercy and your presence and your grace. And I pray for the person who isn't even aware that they need you yet, that you would convict them of their sin, remind them of your mercy, and bring them to your son, Jesus. 
God, may our prayers, may our life recognize your nature, your character, your purposes in our life, and help us to live worshiping you, Yahweh, the true God of heaven and earth. We pray this in Christ's name, and all God's people said, amen.